Welcome back to the Education Podcast. As you know, my goal is to try and help you as a sort of in your freelance journey. Um, if you can benefit from the 20 years of mistakes I've been making, then I'm happy to pass on my knowledge to you so you can be more successful and get to where you want to be even sooner. And usually that means working with clients who actually enjoy working with, who really appreciate the work we do, and they pay us really well to do it. So that's where I want to get you. The goal of the podcast um, is really to kind of help you. And I do this through various ways, Q&A and all that kind of thing. But I wanted to try something slightly different this week. I wanted to try and... um, share my wisdom if that's what you can call it it's probably not even wisdom it's probably just things I've learned from other people that work quite well for me but either way I kind of feel that quite often as I find myself doing nowadays is trying to convince um, my son to you know do his revision for his GCSEs and when I do this I find myself uh, turning into my father and giving him these rather sort of abstract lectures using vague analogies and anecdotes to make my point and I'm sure I take far too long, but he's, you know, too polite enough to mention it. Anyway, I thought actually from having talking to him, you know, having talked to him this evening, there's a few things that I have learned and I do know that actually I keep referring to myself and I keep using myself in my business. And I thought, you know what, if I can share these with you and you find them useful, then I'll be really pleased about that. So I wanted to make sure today that I could kind of share a few of these things and I'd love to know if you tried them out or if you found them helpful or if you do the same. So the first is going to be um, something I learned when I was doing my coaching badges. So for those of you who don't know, I have shiny object syndrome, which I don't think is a real syndrome, but it's certainly something I suffer from and I get bored very quickly. And during my time working in advertising, I also uh, was studying to become a professional football coach and I was doing my coaching badges and sort of uh, when I wasn't sort of working, I was doing lots of coaching sessions and I got to the stage where I kind of became, I would say, genuinely addicted to coaching uh, and I got my UA for B license, which is a kind of uh, academy standard. So a fairly high standard. But what I loved about doing it was learning about the kind of sports psychology side of things and how people work and how to teach and how to improve. And one of the things that I took away and I've applied frequently is this theme of focus on what you can control not what you can't now I know that frequently what I do do or I can certainly get sucked into doing is looking at say other people's content and advertising and marketing and work and and I sit there judging it thinking about it thinking about what I would have done differently thinking about is it better than mine and having this kind of uh, compare and despair I suppose and what happens is time passes I feel crap about myself and I've wasted half an hour just doom scrolling and it's this thing of like why do I care because I can't actually affect or change anything they do and the origin of this phrase when applied to football coaching was more about when you're playing another team uh, let's say in a cup final you have no influence over how they're going to prepare how they're going to train which players are going to play so there's no point really worrying about any of that but what you can control is your performance so you can't control the performance of your teammates really what you can focus on is kind of how much preparation you're doing how much rest you're getting are you eating properly are you training to the best of your ability you know when you play the game are you kind of listening to instructions are you you know alert focused trying your best 
And what this teaches you is this kind of thing of it's much easier just to think about, well, what what can I do to influence the situation? And then I can eliminate all that nervous energy worrying about other things. And when you do this, it does two things. One, it saves you a lot of mental anxiety and time wasted pondering what other people are up to. But it also, the, the, the element of like just focusing on what you can control is very effective at blocking all of that out. I've certainly found that that's an important thing for me to remember in whatever I'm doing is, you know, this is the things that are going to happen and they're going to make a difference. And I need to focus on working on those because my effort will have a direct outcome on how successful they are or how impactful they are in whatever I'm doing. I noticed that, like I said, in football coaching, that was a really big thing because quite often, you know, you spend time worrying about the opposition when there's no point really because you can't have any say and there's no point worrying about what your rivals or your perceived rivals on Instagram are doing because the truth is the people doing well aren't paying attention to you. They're just focusing on the job at hand. And I think this is very important for when we feel like we're not making any progress is to kind of remember that no, no, we have to knuckle down and focus on only the things we can control. So again, if, final point might be if you want to get in shape, um, you can control kind of what you eat and the lifestyle you lead and how you handle that. You can't control how well other people are doing or how what weights they lift or how far they can run or how fast they are. So again, you just have to focus on what are the bits I can control, what's the impact they're going to have on my life. And how can that make a difference to me? Now that brings me on to probably another second point, which is worth considering, which is called the Pareto Principle. Now the Pareto Principle, or the 80-20 Principle, is based on an Italian mathematician, I think. And I can't remember how which century it was in, but it's fairly long ago. And it comes down to the kind of what he was growing in his garden. Now when he looked at his garden, it was full of vegetables and he decided, well, I want to kind of grow even more vegetables in here, but I need to make space. So how do I decide which plants I can get rid of to make room for the new ones? And in particular, he was looking at his pea pod crop and he realised that actually the majority of the peas were coming for a small amount of the pea plants. So he figured, well, if the 20% of my crop is generating 80% of my peas, that means I can eliminate the uh, remaining 80% and still retain a high level of, uh, you know, peas. So well, that's what he did. He, he cut away the plants that weren't doing very well, made room, put more stuff in. But he then began to look at this relationship, this 80-20 sort of 70-30 relationship, and realised there was a direct correlation in so many things in, in life, and particularly in Italian life. So he would say that, well, 70% of the wealth of the country is controlled by kind of 30% of the population and then if we think about the sporting analogy you're kind of like well if we go for 80-20 or 70-30 you know 30% of the team will have a positive outcome on 70% of the results so again if we look at football um, if you think of any good team and you think of say three of the players the top three players are 30% of that team if you take them out then you will have a direct impact on the results significantly. And so, again, this not only from a tactical point of view does it mean, oh, I've got to eliminate those three players, but from a life point of view, we need to understand that, well, 80% of the work we do will not really result in very much, but 20% will. And the 20% 
is the thing we need to pay attention to because that's the thing we, if we concentrate on, is going to really make the difference in our business. So if I was thinking about when I was running the hotel, I could go through all of our guests and I could say to you that probably 20 to 30% of that guest list generates 80 to 70% of the revenue. And by that, I mean, these are people who come the most, they actively spread word of mouth about what we're doing, they stay for a long time, and they're really impactful. The rest of the kind of customers are probably, they stay once, they never come again. And although it's not an exact science, it reminds us that actually, if we're going to have an impact or what we're going to focus you know, on as far as what can I control, knowing what activities are going to really make a difference in our business such as if say 70% of our revenue comes from 30% of our clients then it's important to really look after those clients because they're the ones bringing us the most revenue and what this does is it it does two things it you know it gives us something to focus on which eliminates all the anxiety and the nonsense about you know worrying about other people but it allows us to kind of really refine and improve our business because if we focus on them and then we can kind of be less concerned about retaining the rest. It means that we can then focus on getting better clients gradually and improving the success of our business. So I would I would urge you certainly look at anything in life and you will see a direct color- correlation between a small minority being responsible for a larger majority. And that's so important as far as just being more streamlined and more efficient about how you operate and how you do things. So for me, those were kind of uh, important concepts to grasp and to really understand. And to and this is, look, I don't always actively apply these things, but it's really important to do so. And like I said, the more that I think about it, the more efficient I can become. And that's really important. The third thing on my list of stuff, which probably is, again, relevant to my son, is homework. Um, well, it's actually two things. One is called Parkinson's Law. Now, Parkinson's Law is the rule that whenever we're given a task, we will complete the task in the time allotted to do the task. So if you a good example we can all relate to is we break up for the summer holidays, we've been given loads of homework, and we start the homework maybe a day or the day of the final day of the holiday just before we go out to school and it's a mad scramble to get it all done in time. It's often crap, uh, but at least it's done. We've had the entire summer to do it, but why wait? You know, why bother doing it early when we've got loads of time? And we allow the time to elapse so that when we run, think we're going to run out of time, we rush to do the homework. Now, this is called, as I said, Parkinson's Law. But the beauty of using Parkinson's Law to your advantage is if you're able to set yourself shorter deadlines, you'll find you'll get more done. Now, to do this successfully, you need a couple of things. Firstly, you need to believe the deadline. So this is where you have to trick yourself in your head and go, okay, I need to finish this task in an hour, but I'm going to try and push myself to do it in 45 minutes or maybe 30 minutes. Now, what you'll find is our brains typically spend a lot of time analysing, considering and deciding what to do. But the best analogy I can kind of think of is this is, you know, when you're packing your luggage and you've got a weight limit. Now, because you know that I can't go above, say, 25 or 30 kilos of luggage, I've got to be really sure on what I'm taking on holiday. So I get very good at eliminating things I don't probably need. And when we're packing our bags, we're very good at sort of chucking stuff out, going, well, I won't use that, I don't need that, I don't need that. And we get very good at eliminating things and our decision making gets quicker. It's exactly the same when you apply this principle, because 
without realizing it, your brain will naturally filter out bad decisions or it'll instinctively know the answer to questions and you will simply just go, no, we don't need to do that, bang. And by getting better and uh, sort of eliminating crap and making decisions faster because we haven't got the time and the luxury of pondering and wondering, we get more done. And so the, the beauty of using Parkinson's law is simply set yourself shorter deadlines, get better at decision making and we'll learn to work faster. Now, the advantage of this overall is if you're running a project and I would find say that this is a bit of a, a tip would be it's worth certainly internally bringing all of your deadlines forward to focus the minds of who you're, who's working with you. So if you had a six week project, bring the deadline forward to four weeks. Now, that might sign, sound sort of undoable. And, and again, you if it, if it really isn't doable, um, then you don't want to be breaking people and sort of, you know, rushing around and producing crap work. But essentially, what you do is this. So you would ask everyone to work to the four week deadline. That's what they assume is happening. So that again, they set all their you know, calibration to make sure they get the work done on time. Now, when you do the work early, what you're left is, is the work completed and a two week buffer. Now, that two week buffer is so valuable because the client is thinking, well, it's, it's going to be due in six weeks. So if it's completed in four weeks and to a good standard, you can tell them and go, we finished early and they're thrilled. Um, or if you wanted to go, do you know what? I'm going to hand it in in six weeks anyway, but I'm going to spend those two weeks and we're going to do some self-development. I'm going to relax. I'm going to do other things. I bought myself a buffer of time between projects to kind of recuperate, look after myself, which is also really valuable. And the other thing is if anyone gets ill uh, or there's a problem with the project and something goes wrong, you've got this two week sort of emergency buffer to fix things and the beauty is that you can fix things in that time and the client won't really know because they're still expecting a six week deadline so again if we use this in the work we're doing we can get more done in a short period of time and we can sort of claw back control over our working and actually build in buffers between projects for recuperating and you know taking a break and chilling out or self-development but either way that that means that we we're not going to risk burnout and the temptation when you're starting is to say yes to loads of projects you don't want to keep people waiting so you don't have a queue or a wait list and you just basically get a lot of overlapping of projects which as you can imagine leads to burnout and there's very little wiggle room um, if things go wrong or people get ill so that's the nightmare scenario we will start creating this is the mature alternative that we end up creating when we've had enough of the first version. So that would be certainly something I would recommend. And, and the final point to sort of work into this is by using a thing called the Pomodoro technique, you could get so much more done. Now, the Pomodoro is it's a cooking timer in the shape of a tomato. And I think Pomodoro is Italian for tomato. You would have seen them. You sort of twist the top half and it goes tick, 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 tick. And it's typically, I think, half an hour is the maximum limit or an hour, whatever. But they use it in kitchens and you have various sort of Pomodoros going off at different times for whatever you're cooking. The Pomodoro technique. And again, if you type it in online, you can actually find um, the Pomodoro online thing. And the way it works is you do 25 minutes of sort of intense focus and activity. Then you have a five minute break and that counts as one Pomodoro. And then you would do the same. Uh, another 25 minutes with a five minute break. And I think after four Pomodoros, you take a 15 minute break. 
And that's what my son's been using for revision. And he said he's found it brilliant as far as it's much easier to kind of focus on something for 25 minutes, knowing you're going to get a break and then doing it again, as opposed to, say, two hours where you allow the time to fill the two hours and you kind of just coast in this kind of very relaxed, easy way of doing it. We're not really doing any intense revision or focus or anything like that. So if you're looking to apply all of those principles, the final bit is the Pomodoro technique, which is going to allow you to achieve that focus, uh, get the work done without going crazy. And that will make a massive difference in your productivity and getting stuff done. Um, Other things, I guess when it comes to being more productive, if we're kind of on that, would be um, plan out what you want to do before you do it. Now, I am very guilty of wasting so much time where I'll sit down and go, okay, what do I need to do? Now, while I work out what I need to do and I check my notes and I check my emails and I'm trying to work out what's the what do I need to do and what's the most urgent and what's the order I should do it in, I've wasted probably 20 minutes faffing about which in itself is demoralizing. Um, and then I do the work kind of fed up that I've it's taken me so long to get anywhere and it's not really working. What changed for me was um, I started doing uh, like a goal setting thing as part of it. it was called Action Coach. But it was effectively it's like I've, and I've written a, a course on this, but it's, it's you, I, what you would do is you would set goals and you would plan the night before. So what, what I found very helpful about the whole goal setting process is that you plan about what you're going to do before you step in to do it so now every night I have a list of stuff I want to do and I will write down what I need to do the following day and then I will keep referring back to that list every time I have a lull in my work so if I go to make a coffee I'll check the list if I nip to the loo I'll check the list Uh, when I finish a job I'll check the list and what this does is it gives me this focus and reminds me of what I need to do and any thinking time is is eliminated because quite often when I've got the notes of what I want to do and say it's before bed or while I'm just having a cup of tea or watching TV in the evening whatever it might be my brain is still kind of thinking and I can be adding to that list the whole time and what that means is that when I come to do it it's like okay I know exactly what I have to do because I've actually mapped out all the steps needed so I'd have to think at all And this has been enormously effective in keeping me focused. You know, that thing of um, staying on target and and focusing on what I can control and what I can't. Um, This has been very helpful because I'm no longer kind of aimlessly scrolling or browsing, thinking, oh, what should I do? Because, you know, everything is so hard to ignore. And I was thinking this the other day, I, I get addicted to stuff and I'm so easily, I can't even give up Pringles. So how the hell do I stand a chance of like resisting social media? I, I can't do it at all. So with this, all of this kind of working together, it means I'm much more efficient. And I guess what occurred to me the other day is I finished writing my first book and it's about, I think, just under 200 pages. It's for the Signature Service Workshop, um, which I'm going to be launching formally as an online version. Um, so that's coming soon, depending on when you're listening to this. But what it made me realise was that's, getting up at five o'clock every morning for months and like taking the time to, outside of client work to, to to write it and it's this thing of you end up doing it and you're sort of applying all the principles and staying very focused and it's exhausting because you don't really see anything of it and the whole time you're looking at people doing social media going oh, I wish it was me I, I should really be posting on Instagram but actually 
at the end of it, I've got this book, which I will keep forever. Um, it's not complete garbage. Other people have read it and enjoyed it, which is nice. And that's uh, a, a symbolic representation of dedication and focus, which actually, if you'd given me the opportunity to say you could have spent six months or a year's worth of grafting really hard and have this book, which will forever stay with you. It's a digital asset that won't age. It doesn't cost anything anymore. You've put all your costs and energy into it. Or you could have posted on Instagram every day for six months and you would have got another 10,000 followers. I know now that I'm really glad I didn't do the social media treadmill and I did this book instead. And this is the thing of when we're working hard and we're focusing on what we control and we're trying to be as efficient as possible, it's really important to kind of lift our heads sometimes and appreciate the work we're doing and seeing how it's coming together and reminding ourselves of what that will be like when it's completed and how good that will feel. So when you're applying all of this, I do believe it's worth putting your energy into kind of a longer term digital asset that is going to kind of add value to your clients' lives and be something which you can kind of have and promote and sell for your business. Because once you've got, say, like a book or a mini course, you can sell that. Um, you can give it away to people as like a, as you know, as a freebie. You can bundle it into things. You can include it in workshops, courses, uh, client work as, a, as an added extra. And it's kind of like it doesn't cost you anything. I've, I've done it. It sits on Dropbox. There's nothing really to worry about. And it, this is the thing of when we're focusing on what we can control, what's important, what's going to move the needle, what's going to compound over time. These are the kind of things that are going to make a difference in your business. So those things are really important. Um, one thing I will say, which is kind of, uh, you know, linked to all this kind of thing of how do we, you know, writing and all that kind of stuff. I found that uh, writing is really hard. I, I found it extremely kind of um, difficult. I didn't sort of, uh, I don't, I've never been any good. I'm more of a pictures person. I like drawing stuff, not writing stuff. But I had the help of Tommy Tonkins and his wife, Polly, who really sort of, you know, they 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 did more than polish this turd and, and sprinkle it in glitter. They've actually transformed it, which is fantastic. But the one thing about writing, which I've had, is um, it, it's hard to get in the mood. And I was we had this fantastic lady. She's called Shirley Conran, and she's a very successful author. And she used to stay at our hotel as a writer's retreat. She had booked the room for a couple of weeks and would just write. And I remember asking, like, how was she able to be so prolific at writing? And she said it was easy for her because she had this kind of technique that she would use to get into the flow of things really quickly without having to kind of warm up or without becoming susceptible to writer's block. And this is what she would do. She would be writing and she would have, say, a paragraph that she wanted to finish. And she knew how the paragraph would finish, but she wouldn't finish it. She would deliberately leave it unfinished finish for the day, go to bed, wake up the next day and start by finishing the paragraph. And what this did, it, it was it's a bit like when you look at a relay race and they hand over the baton, but they're already running. The momentum from finishing that paragraph meant that she was able to keep writing and she was already in the kind of flow. And that was what helped her kind of get back into writing. So I tried this and it's amazing how when you know what you want to finish and you almost stop yourself deliberately, you're sort of itching to finish off what you know you can finish and then actually you're back into the flow because your brain has been thinking the whole time you've been away anyway. And if you've mapped out the kind of structure of what you're writing, it's just like bang, bang, and I'm off. 
And I found that that was so helpful for getting up early and knowing what I wanted to do. And so if you're writing content, if you're writing a book, you're doing anything, writing's massively important. But this technique of leaving stuff half finished so that you come back to it and want to finish it, amazing. Like I said, it works so well. And I find that that's been one of those kind of hacks that I talk about um, all the time to people and I found found so easy. Um, the other things I would kind of say would be whatever you're doing, it's going to take forever. And I think this is kind of important because anything that's worth doing takes a long time. And with anyone who's kind of successful, you always only see uh, the kind of the fruits of it once they've become successful. Because if you're The Rock or Kevin Hart, you're not, they're not going to come on your radar until they've reached a certain level of success. That they've, they're on a platform and they've got the distribution on, say, Netflix that you come across them. And you're like, oh, they're great. You don't see the kind of 15, 20 years of graft and work that went into achieving that. And there was, it's so important to remember it just takes ages. And the way that we learn as, as a species is, is through failure. So you have this thing of, I'm only going to learn by doing stuff. So in order to do stuff, I've got to, one, uh, open my mind to it, accept that I've got to improve. Then I've got to go and find knowledge and information which I trust. I've got to then believe that that will work. I've got to accept that if I'm going to actually apply the knowledge I've learned, I'm going to fail. So I've now got to go into doing, knowing I'm going to fail, fail and fail a lot. Get comfortable with failing, knowing that this is making me better and slowly get better testing out stuff and eventually reduce the failure rate and increase the success rate over several years until I then get to the stage where I'm confident, where I know how to be more successful than not successful. And then even then I will have to keep evolving and changing what I'm doing because the world is evolving and changing. And if you look about, hey, learning an instrument, learning stand-up, uh, anything, learning a language, cooking, it takes ages. And I wanted to make this distinction of a couple of things. One, the f failing isn't fa failing, it's learning. It's just that we call it failing because it isn't successful, but it's unrealistic to have success early. And if you are having success early, it's probably not hard enough for you. And that's only going to make you worse. So I'll tell you an example in my life. So when I was learning judo, I was crap at judo, but I was quite tall, so it gave me a bit of an advantage. And in my first judo tournament, this wasn't like the karate kid that I was appalling, but I remember I was up against uh, the best kid in my school. He was really good, and he would often beat me in judo class. And when I was up against him, I was kind of like, oh, well, I'm going to lose, but, you know, it was good fun. Anyway, during the match, uh, you know, you're, you're wrestling or whatever. And um, my knee slipped on the mat. And I kneed him in the face and his nose started bleeding. And I was panicked and I was like, oh God, what am I going to do? And the, I guess the judge or whoever just goes, you've got to pin him. And so I reluctantly kind of pinned him. I won the, the bout because he couldn't carry on. And I felt kind of terrible, but I'd got through easily. I hadn't really done the thing, hadn't been tested. I'd just slipped broke his nose or given him a nosebleed and uh, I was through to the next round where I got absolutely smashed by the next guy and it was because I'd advanced to a level I wasn't ready for purely through luck and this is kind of the bit that's really important is to accept that we want it to be hard 
and we want to struggle because it's in that adversity that we get better and this is true of if you play sport and you're playing say tennis if you're playing someone who's slightly better than you it forces you to raise your game where if you're playing someone slightly worse than you you lower your game and you become slowly worse and what happens is it's the whole thing of if you stay around people who aren't as good as you, but you're always the sort of big fish in the small pond, as they say, you slowly lose your edge and become worse. Where the other people who are going on the other way, they are improving, although they don't realise it because they keep losing to people who are better than them. But it's only when they kind of go back to face the person who they used to play against, who they thought was better than them, and they destroy them, they realise, oh, wow, I've had all this extra sort of adversity to improve me but I never realized how good I'd actually been getting so I think when we do things it's so important to kind of seek out people who are better than us because they're going to force us and there's something and it's certainly like if you're if you're training I learned this what you want to do is try and replicate match like conditions in training so typically in a training session the tempo is slower um, it's much more relaxed people aren't going in as hard um, they're not because they all know each other and it's like more fun. And at first I thought that was good. You know, you want everyone to be having fun and enjoying it. But what you realise is there's such a jump from the training sessions to the matches that we were often getting beaten and it's because we couldn't adjust. And therefore, like when the game was being played, we couldn't handle the pace. We were getting tackled really hard. We weren't reacting. Our tackles weren't really convincing enough. So I had to set about creating match-like conditions in training so what i would do is i would shorten the sessions and make the spaces slightly smaller and you can do this thing where there's less breaks so i would always be carrying a ball so if the ball went out of play i'd just roll a fresh ball in straight away so there wasn't a break for a throw in or a breather and what you define a bit like the pomodoro technique actually you can do short like four to five minute sessions that high intensity where you're really shouting and goading with the players to like be really physical and aggressive and you're rewarding and celebrating aggression um, and then you stop have a water break for two minutes and then you do it again what this did it, it was kind of it went from like jogging to sprinting and the players at first like were, weren't sure how to respond but that pressure that it put them under meant that they were tired after training because it was more exertion um, they actually became more angry and aggressive because they were fired up but that was good they took it much more seriously and weirdly like you could see the difference because now we were training at a kind of more match-like intensity so we were starting games quicker we were actually sharper with our passing our tackles were more aggressive and this had raised our game literally so that we started to draw and then we went on to winning matches and it was only when we made this adjustment so it's definitely worth whatever you're doing to kind of summarize again my long stories um we want to accept that it will take ages. That's the first thing. It's going to take a hell of a long time. And I don't care about the hacks or anything online or whatever you read because it it doesn't work. It's a bit like going, well, I don't need to go and see Top Gun Maverick. I'll just watch the trailer and I'll work it out. The context is what makes everything great and gives you a deeper understanding. If you're always looking for like the top five hacks or uses what you're doing, the person giving you that has probably copied it, but but more importantly, you're you're losing all of the bit that goes alongside those hacks to make them relevant, which is called context. So if you are constantly tempted to kind of find hacks or solutions or sort of 
things that you know how to do it better I think that it's a concern because it's appealing to the lazy part of our brains of like I just want it faster and easier where actually once we accept we need to actually learn it and apply it and do it and fail and fail and fail and win and win and fail and fail and win and win 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 oh we're winning now and then if we're winning too easy let's go and go with someone who's going to punish us and make it harder and harder what you realize is all of that is fantastically good for you and it makes you tough makes you resilient and that's where you want to get to and that's when you're in a position where you've had years of understanding context success and failure and you've built this mental tenacity where it's not a problem anymore I've told this before, but public speaking was something I wanted to improve at. Um, I had a public speaking teacher. Uh, she was giving me a session. I practiced. I prepared a presentation. I booked. I was booked to speak at an expo. Uh, I went to the expo. I got up at five, travelled two hours, set up everything, did my went to get ready for my you know presentation. You're standing up there, and there's about seven people in the crowd and one of them is an old man and as I start the audio doesn't work on my headphones and I'm trying to get the audio right and it's not really working and out of the the seven people in the audience five of them are friends who I've roped in so I'm I'm speaking to hardly anyone because I haven't done any marketing haven't really thought it through the audio is going wrong and now the old man is asleep so I've managed to put an old man to sleep and I haven't even started, really. So it's looking fantastic for me. But it's in that moment where you just go, forget this, and you just walk off because nobody's paying attention, nobody cares. Um, or you push through it and you finish your presentation, you uh, get the sarcastic applause, the old man wakes up and you walk off and you just go, what have I done? I've just spent hundreds of pounds, nearly, well, I think it was around nearly a grand if we take in travel, hiring a booth, preparation, to completely fail at public speaking. But what I took away from that was, um, I, at least I pushed through it. I was proud of myself for not giving up because I thought about it in the moment. Like I've got loads of excuses here. Nobody's here, so nobody knows. Uh, my mates aren't paying attention. I don't care. He's asleep, so I could actually say, I don't want to wake him up. Um, the equipment doesn't work. And nobody's paying attention outside of you know what I'm doing on on the expo floor so I had lots of opportunities to walk away but I knew that the regret of walking away would have been too much for me to bear and I still would have lost the money and I pushed through it and the advantage now is it wasn't that you know the big thing I got wrong is I didn't do any bloody marketing and I didn't think about who my audience was and I wasn't prepared if I'd marketed if I'd done networking if I promoted myself people would have turned up so that wasn't that was my fault. That's where I messed up. The presentation was fine because I gave that in a webinar a few weeks later and it went really well. So that wasn't. And I learned loads from the acting coach that I've used in coaching and speaking and everything now. And all of that was valuable. But the one best thing was I learned that it can't get any worse. So whatever happens from now on, there's not much really anyone can do to kind of put me off. I mean, even if they are sleeping, it's like I've seen it all before. It's not a big deal to me. So there is something about the adversity of going through all those conditions, realising that it isn't that bad, overcoming the failure, learning from it, and then actually using that learning to be more successful in other places is tremendously liberating. So the other, the final thing I guess I would sort of leave you with is 
lean into the kind of failure or the learning and you know if it goes wrong it goes wrong nobody really cares they're all paying attention to themselves anyway and this is the only way to get better that you have to i guess remind yourself or that your brain is tricking you just because you're winning you think you're getting better but actually you want to be failing because you learn i'd say three or four times as much from a failure than you do from a victory and this is a good example would be if i'm playing pro evo you know football on the playstation and i'm winning all my matches i can tell myself yeah i'm look how good i am but it's because i'm not playing against a difficult enough opposition as soon as i come up against someone who's half decent they'll thrash me and i won't know what to do i'm better off testing myself by playing hard opposition and then slowly getting better because when i earn those victories i know they're actually of merit and i haven't kind of like made it easy for myself so that was it so whatever you do it's important to try and be objective enough to prioritize your time work on things that are going to kind of move the needle and are influential in your business um, set yourself up so you can be productive to make the most of your time by um, using tricks and tactics against our own brains because people are inherently lazy that's fine we all are it's normal it's natural we're designed to conserve energy for the hunt but we're no longer hunting anymore so do all of that and you know accept that it will take ages accept that failure is really learning and if we get comfortable with all this then we're going to improve enormously because i promise you most of the world and everyone else is far more safer in this kind of safety net of i just want easy wins I don't want to be tested and I can just lie to myself that I'm doing quite well. And that's what they do. They hide behind vanity metrics on social media, behind sort of easy wins, small little groups. You know, they want to stay the big fish in the small pond. Well, I'm telling you what happens is they never will realise their full potential. And it's only when it gets too late, they'll always question what if. What could I have achieved? Because I've known the whole time I'm lying to myself. I just won't admit it. And I think... There is some sort of phrase which I cannot quite remember, but I will still attempt to say, which is it's better to live one day as a lion than your life as a lamb, which basically means it's better to do go for it and completely fail. But at least you went for it. And I certainly believe that when we move from failure, to, when we move from where we are, if we want to get closer to success, failure is the vehicle that's going to get us there. But if we don't want to fail, what ends up happening is we stay where we are and we become engulfed by regret. And we can't see the regret, but it's only when we look back after several years and realise, oh my God, I'm surrounded by it. And I can't get anywhere now because my opportunity to improve and get closer to success is gone. So I'm left with that horrible feeling of I never tried, I am a failure, where we want to do the opposite. So that's all I would say is um, I hope that was useful for you. I do love Shirley's writing technique. I have to say that is a good one I use regularly. Um, but with all these things, I want to know what are your hacks and techniques? What things do you use? Oh, actually, I shouldn't use the word hack, but you know, what lessons or things have you discovered that have been good for you and have really helped you? And would you like more of this? I've got loads of other bits and bobs I can share with you, so I will do in future episodes. But if you found this useful, please let me know. It's thad at thadducation.com. There's also a private Facebook group where I'm in there sharing, you know, articles that I think are of value and answering people's questions. 
We're now starting to do uh, meetups in London. I'm going to be trying to do workshops in London. Uh, and there are various courses out there and advice. So if you go to thaducation.com, you can see all that. And like I said, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I wish you a good evening, good week, good whatever. And I will speak to you soon. Thank you very much. <laughs>